your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to uh, Tuesday. It's Tuesday. I got to turn you on, Brett. Of Lacrosse Talk PM, I got we got a three headed conversation already. We're going to kick off the show. We're not going to waste any time because I, I needed a brainstorming segment here. Tim Grinke, the Lacrosse County District Attorney, is on with me. Brad Williams, Wisdom News, is in the studio with me, and we're going to pool our money together, guys, and try to buy this uh, this mall. Is that cool? Yeah, right. So twenty seven million is value, that what, valued at twenty seven million? But we're not going to need that much, right? Well, probably uh, not. No. I'm out. You're out. Grinky's uh, uh, already out. Grinky's out. I thought maybe new, a couple hundred. The high V isn't going to be part of it, so I, uh, they're not putting that up for sale. They're still building it. So. Oh, they got an all-you-can-eat buffet sometimes. High V is good. <laughs> anyway, okay, moving on. Uh, the, that plan failed. I thought I could get some high rollers in here to, to work with me, but apparently not. Uh, okay, Tim Grinky is on with me. I wanted to bring Brad and Tim together right away to start off the show because last week, uh, the forty last week forty yeah, it was two a week, week ago two, Saturday two yeah a week and a half or so ago um, the forty eight hour show did the Todd Kenhammer case it's the second time a, a TV show has has kind of taken the Kenhammer case and I'll, Brad I'll let you and Tim talk about it go ahead right of course uh, one of the people who was featured on the program is Tim who uh, prosecuted the trial this was a trial in twenty seventeen the uh, the death of Barbara Kenhammer in twenty sixteen and uh, what I've been interested in knowing, Tim, is have you gotten much response from the viewing public about whether, you know, mm. if you are you, you're a one man crime stoppers getting tips for, oh, I think yeah. we, I know this might have happened in the case or this might have happened or uh, anything been coming your way. And uh, do we know when it's possible that there might be a ruling on whether he gets an appeal or a new trial? Yeah, so I didn't. No, I didn't get a whole lot of uh, feedback, um, and a um, couple emails from people that haven't seen me in a while that saw me and just reached out. But no, other than that, not a lot of feedback from the public. Um, and as far as when it's going to be decided, uh, the defendant has filed a brief with the court that I have to respond to by March seventh, and then they would have a final chance to reply by March twenty third, and then sometime in April the court is going to have a hearing um, to argue the matter, and then the judge could either make a ruling right then or the judge could take some time to draft a ruling. Um, so I would say April, maybe into May, is when the decision will be made. We should back up. We should back up a little right, bit. Can you just this is uh, just summarizing tell, what yeah, the tell, case is. Tell uh, us what Todd Kenhammer, what Tim, happened Tim, what was, uh, what was the case that you tried five years ago? Okay, so, uh, yeah, Todd Kenhammer was accused of killing his wife, Barbara, uh, of an incident that happened in September of 2016. Uh, the trial was in December of 2017. Uh, he was convicted of first-degree intentional homicide, uh, sentenced to prison, and uh, since then uh, he has been working on an appeal. That was filed last year. Um, I can't remember the date, but it was filed last year, and there was a hearing in front of Judge Bierke, and now we're just waiting for the arguments to be submitted by the attorneys, and then the judge will make a ruling on whether or not uh, his trial attorneys were effective or not. And if he rules that they were ineffective, he didn't get a fair trial, that he could order a new trial. Um, if he says they were effective, that he did get a fair trial, then um, it would then go to the Court of Appeals if the defense wanted to, which I, I assume they would if this was denied. 
And the 48-hour show kind of took off with some video that didn't get played during the trial because Ken Hammer uh, alleges that a pipe fell off a truck, went through the car window, and killed his wife, right? Correct. And uh, there was some video. um, The the sheriff's department ran some experiments to um, just kind of see what would happen when a pipe is falling off of a truck from different heights, different speeds. Uh, The defense, it didn't want those played in the trial, and I agreed thinking they weren't really accurate or um, all the variables weren't accounted for, how high was a truck, how fast was it going, those types of things. And so it wasn't displayed at the jury during the trial. The appellate attorneys are saying that they should have. The attorneys made a mistake, and they should have shown those videos. Well, that seemed to be uh, one of the arguments made in the 48 Hours show is that there is this video that was not seen by the jury in the trial and that perhaps maybe it should be if there is a, a future appeals case. Yeah, that's one of the arguments by the defense. Um, the judge will decide if, if that's true or not. Our argument is the they don't really change what the jury saw in terms of the evidence um, in the car and that was presented to them. And so the judge will decide if, that's, if that was a fatal mistake or if it was um, understandable. What did you think of the, the episode, Tim, on 48 Hours? The, the, the 48 Hours episode, I should say. Um, I, whenever I've done a few TV shows on some cases in the past, um, and I always just try to make sure they're getting accurate information, knowing that when they're talking to me, it's you know it's an hour show, but with commercials, it's less than that. I think it's forty some minutes. And given that it was a multi-week trial, and uh, you know, took a year to get the trial, there's certainly a lot that they're just not going to be able to show. Um, just like. You guys, when you have your your radio shows, there's a lot more you'd like to get into, but there's only so much time. So, unfortunately, it never shows everything. Um, they try to do what they can to figure out what's important. So, I thought it was, you know, accurate in terms of what they showed, but unfortunately, they they just don't show a lot that the jury saw. So, what Tim Greggy is saying is, we need a Netflix making a murderer like special, need seven eight episodes or something like that. Mm, no, <laughs> no, no, not in favor of that either. Oh well, um, but yeah. I just as you know, being in that business, anytime there's a, a, a clip of a, a news, you know, about a, any crime, it's a little frustrating that there's very little that you can really give people. And unfortunately, the public, myself included probably, we make decisions based on what we hear. And we sometimes forget there's a lot more that went into that than what we can tell and show people. So uh, I think we all have to maybe remind ourselves there's a lot more to stories that are in the news than what the news can give us. They can't show enough. Did they show anything that you felt like, mm, you know, that that's kind of, no, we, that probably shouldn't have been part of it. Or did they take you out of context mm. in anything? No, I don't think they did. Um, everything, I think, was <clears throat> accurate that they showed. Um, just they, they talked for a lot longer than what was shown, and you never know what they're going to use. So you just try to be accurate and hope that they, you know, do everything as fairly as they can, and I, I think they did. All right, that's La Crosse County District Attorney Tim Greinke. He's going to spend the hour with us. Brad, get out of here. you got to go do the news. Uh, we're kick him out. Uh, yeah, you guys uh, you guys should uh, grab some popcorn and watch the, the show together, Tim. <laughs> with Brad? <laughs> yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, I think uh, you, would, I don't th- I, you probably wouldn't be able to be very productive in watching the show. I think maybe he would be quizzing you the whole time. Hey, what, what did you think of that? What probably. did you think of that? Um, all yeah. right. Coming up on the show with with Tim here, we're going to talk about uh, 
the Amir Locke killing in Minneapolis, another Minneapolis police situation uh, where <laughs> controversial. Uh, the the policing board is what we're calling the Lacrosse County Policing Board. I just it, it's easier to maybe call it a police oversight committee, even though I think maybe in the long run, maybe Tim, that's kind of what we're trying to make, right? Eventually. Uh, well, some people want to make it a police advisory board. Um, oversight has maybe a negative connotation to some people, so we're trying to avoid the label. Just the point is to have some sort of civilian involvement in the decisions made by police. Yeah. And then uh, Wisconsin Republicans uh, proposing bills to essentially going after bail policies in the state, uh, having to do with that Waukesha parade, the guy that uh, it's really itchy to talk about, but the the guy that was allegedly run over people in the parade. Um, So we're going to get to that. And just talking about, uh, I think, bails and signature bonds in general, is always uh, an interesting conversation. But first, Brad should be back in the newsroom. We'll take a break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Lacrosse County District Attorney Tim Grinke on the phone with me. We're talking, just got done talking about that 48 Hours episode a couple of Saturdays ago in terms of the Todd Kenhammer case. So uh, if you missed that part, you can always go back to the podcast and listen to it. But uh, real quick, Tim, because I know this is kind of always developing and to blow hard about something that we don't have all the information isn't always the most healthy or the healthiest. Um, but the Amir Locke killing uh, Minneapolis police, no-knock warrant. Uh, Amir Locke was uh, laying on a couch under a, a comforter and then when he when they busted in, he kind of came out of the comforter. He had a gun in his hand, and that that was it. That was the end of him. And and they Amir Locke ended up being the person that they weren't looking for. So he was just the kind of an innocent bystander sleeping on somebody's couch. Um, I guess first of all, what did you think of of that whole situation? Well, as you said, you have to find out a few more details about it. Um, I saw the video, and you know, unfortunately, it looks like when you analyze a self-defense claim on behalf of the officer, uh, it looks like he's got a gun that's being raised up and, and pointing towards the officer. Um, now, he's waking up from a dead sleep, so who knows if he was what he was thinking or you know if he was even meaning to do that. But it's difficult to prosecute officers when the self-defense law applies to them the same as anybody else. Did he have a reasonable fear of death or grip out of harm? And if you've got that gun coming up pointing at you, most people say yes, so it's a little difficult to prosecute it. Um, yes, but it's, it's tragic because it looked like he was sleeping, and you know, you, you wonder if something different could have been done. Uh, could a different outcome have happened? But it's it's a split second decision that we then try to you know, look at it in hindsight. We always have to remember we're not the ones that were there in the room at the time to. Yeah, you, you you can make a you can make an argument for both ways, but uh, the the weird thing, like if I bust into somebody's house and and I'm looking to do, and then the, somebody in the house has a gun and flashes it, can I shoot them and can I claim self defense then if I'm breaking in? Um, well, the, the self defense law talks about provocation that you can't provoke an incident and then claim self defense. Um, but there was recently a case found in um, Walworth County where someone did basically just that. He broke into his, I think, brother-in-law's house in the middle of the night with a gun and was searching the computer, looking to see if that person had child porn in the computer. That homeowner saw him and rushed at him and was killed, and the jury uh, found that that was at least some level of self-defense. They didn't find him guilty of first-degree intentional. So in that case, 
the answer was yes. The court said you could at least get the self-defense instruction and see what a jury thinks about it. Um, but again, there is a law of provocation that you can't instigate the incident and then claim self-defense. I feel like but, that's kind of what the police did, even though they had a warrant. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the argument that people have that think if someone's breaking in, you have a right to defend yourself. Of course, we don't want them doing that if it's a lawful order and a search warrant looking for evidence of a crime. So officers have to find some way to protect themselves and the other people by either a knock-and-announce warrant or maybe a better strategy of going in or whatever tactics they use when they go into a residence. Um, it's not an easy thing no matter how you do it. Anytime you're going into someone's house, whether it's a knock-and-announce search warrant, a no-knock warrant, or even consensual, there's always a risk to what's happening between the police and the people inside because, like you said, people might be sleeping, they might not know who's coming at them, they might feel like they have to defend themselves, and, of course, the officers still right to defend themselves while they're doing their job. So it's not going to be a safe no matter how you cut it if people are are having guns in their home and officers are going into that home. There's just no way to make it 100% safe. Well, and that's the thing, too, is everybody, not everybody, but there's just a lot of guns out there. I, I had a, a neighbor later who has some mental health issues come into my basement at 1 in the morning. I have a walk-in mm-hmm. basement, and so I'm hearing something downstairs. I walk down there, and, you know, this lady is down there, and I was just thinking, man, if I had a gun and I felt threatened, <laughs> like she, you know, I could have, I could have yeah. did something. It was one in the morning. Maybe I'm sleeping on that couch down there and, and doing something. Yeah. But, uh, and it always brings up like, the, yeah, go what ahead. the castle doctrine says is that if someone forcibly enters your home unlawfully, which sounds like she was doing, you have a right to defend yourself. So it's, there's no easy way to address this issue. Um, officers spend a lot of time training on this and studying this. And so if anybody's talking about you know, making changes to that law, I, I hope they just consider all the possibilities. And uh, I'm not an expert in that area to know which is the safest way, because it seems to me any, any way you do it, there's a risk. There's always going to be a risk um, that you can't eliminate 100%. Can we get more of those robot dogs? Because they can't, you know, if we shoot those, uh, it's fine. Well, I mean, it's funny you mention that, because I know that in this area, the police do have robots. Uh, they're not dogs, but they have robots that they'll use. And so it's a, you know, it's a good example of using tactics that might limit the injuries to people if you use different tactics, robots being one of them, um, non-lethal rounds being another one, um, just better surveillance and better intelligence being another one. There's, there's different ways to do it. And again, I'm not an expert, but... There are ways to lessen the risk, but anytime you have somebody going into someone else's house, it, there's going to be a risk. There's just no way around it. You say robots. I immediately went Will Smith in the movie iRobot, where everybody has their own personal robot. And then I uh-huh. went to RoboCop, where the guy turned into a robot. So which one are you talking about, robots? A lot less <laughs> lot less than that. I think it's just something that has wheels and a camera, and they can speak to people. And they've used it a couple times successfully. So a way to see in the house, see what people are doing, communicate with them. Um, those type of things. Similar to it's similar to the robot, you might see it like Target, where it's it's kind of you can ask it to help you, like the robot that just kind of roams around. Have you seen that thing yet? I, I have not seen that. Yeah, it's just Sorry. like <laughs> it's just yeah, it, it it threw me off a little bit too, and I was like, what? 
is this robot following me? What's going on? Yeah, it's just like a little, it's it's not little, it's kind of big. It's, you know, and it just roams around. And I actually didn't, I don't actually remember if you could ask it questions or if it was just uh, scanning shelves. I don't remember. Huh. But anyway, I'm going to move on here with La Crosse County District Attorney Tim Greinke. I, I wanted to talk about the policing board that's going through the county right now. And we haven't talked about it in a while. Is that because, uh, just because I haven't talked about it? Or is that because we haven't had a whole lot of new information in maybe the last couple of months? Probably both. I think for the last couple of months, uh, after the county board passed a resolution, they've been trying to, uh, I think, structure the board. And also, you probably haven't asked about it. Yeah, definitely. I haven't asked about it. But it's it's on an uh, it's on an agenda calendar for the Lacrosse County um, for Thursday. And yep. what I see here, because there's not a whole lot of information on the agenda, but there's a name. There's a name. There's a bunch of names. So this looks like uh, maybe initial who would be on such a board? Yeah. Uh, the proposal is um, that those people would be appointed. Um, I think it's a starting point because, of course, um, there might be uh, scheduling problems. You know, once people figure out when it's meeting and how often it's meeting, it, it could be changed. But I think these are the names that the county board would... Um, well, I think the chairman actually appoints the people, but it would go in front of the Judiciary Law Committee and then the county board um, next week, I think, to appoint these people to at least start this process. Yeah, there's a Judiciary and Law Committee meeting at 3 p.m. Thursday. So um, just uh, off the off the, uh, are you part of that? Are you going to be part of that meeting? I No, I'm not. Part no, of that. okay. Because um, you're you're on you're in on the other ones that, um, but that one looks pretty interesting. I don't know; it doesn't have a whole lot of information about what they're going to talk about. But there's there's a couple bullet points there. Um, but yes, 18 people on this initial oversight committee or policing board. That seems like a lot. 18 people, and and there are some law enforcement officers on there. Police Chief Sean Kudron, um, the Onalaska Police Chief uh, Chuck Ashbeck, and the La Crosse County Sheriff Jeff Wolf. Those are the yep. names I recognize. I don't. Maybe there's more that I don't recognize, but. Um, that was that was one of the arguments, right? Should there or should there not be people in policing on the oversight board? Yeah, that's that's one of the disputes people are having. Um, and I, this this study committee, I think, is supposed to, um, I guess, try to further define that what what the role of a board would be, and if somehow law enforcement should be on it or not. And I think the thinking was to not have law enforcement on at this stage would just result in a lot of confusion and misunderstandings, and um, they should be part of the planning if they're going to be asked later to be subject to it. Uh, just to make sure people have probably considered their concerns or uh, maybe a little bit about how their system works now to see what changes can be made or should be made. So, yeah, I think the thought now is they should be included at this point to decide in the future what level of input police should have. Yeah, it's kind of a tricky situation because you, you know, a lot of people don't have experience in policing, and then you can ask those people. Uh, but if they're on the board, maybe they try to manipulate the 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 making of the board to, uh, you know, give them loopholes to to get out of certain things. You know, so it's just kind of a tricky situation. Yeah, and I think people just always have to remember that you know, at some point, whatever they come up with, uh, assuming they come up with some plan would go in front of the county board, the elected officials, where they could, you know, say this is no good or this is too tilted one way or the other, or everybody that was there agreed on it, it sounds great. So it's it's not something that they've got the authority to do anything on their own. It goes before the Judiciary Law Committee and then the county board and probably some other levels of review as well. So um, I'm not concerned at this point without knowing what they're going to propose. I would just be patient and wait to see what they come up with and see how it looks. 
Do you, any timeline? Do you, can you make even a guess as the timeline when we would maybe vote no. on something like this? I I would I don't have a timeline, but I would guess a, a long time to have a lot of moving parts together to iron out all the details of something like this. Um, I, I would think months, if not close to a year. But that's just a guess on my part. Yeah, and, and Dane County, I believe, is it Dane County did this, and it probably took them about a year, right? Uh, City of Madison, actually, and um, it may have been even more than a year. They had um, a, quite a process that involved more than just this. Their process involved some other changes as well. So they were actually doing it for a couple of years, and that was this board was one of the things that came out of their process. All right, that's Lacrosse County District Attorney Tim Greg. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the the Waukesha Parade incident or tragedy, I should call it, and uh, what's coming from the Wisconsin State Legislature in terms of what bail and bonds is that the best way to put that, Tim? Yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah. All right, we'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM six zero eight. 785-7914 is the talk and text line. Lacrosse County District Attorney Tim Grinke is on the phone with me, spending the hour here with us. Uh, we've talked about the Todd Kenhammer case with Brad and the 48 Hours television show a couple Saturdays ago. We've talked about the Amir Locke situation in Minneapolis. And uh, we hit on the police policing board, which is what we're calling it. I like to call it a police oversight board or an advisory board, just so it's more clear what exactly is going on. Um, Tim, just going back to the Amir Locke thing, uh, is the Minneapolis Police Department or that area, is it is it jinxed or is there a curse there? Because there's, what, maybe five incidents mm-hmm. where just worldwide or national attention, Locke, George Floyd, yeah. uh, the the taser versus gun, I can't remember that that one. And then there was, there was, yep. there was another one with the, uh, pulling the the guy, you know, another pulling over incident. I don't. It just seems like yeah. they're cursed. Yeah, I don't think it's cursed. I think it's a product of you know decades of of how things are are done, and um, you know some of it's police training, some of it's police recruiting, some of it's how police relates to their communities. Um, there's no doubt policing is a dangerous job, and I think you can compare some police departments to others and see there's a difference. And everything else should be the same. I mean, cultures are the same, people are the same. But when you see some departments having more incidents, you have to start to wonder there's something wrong about about that area of policing. So, for example, in La Crosse, you know, the use of force is very low. Um, we haven't had anywhere near the problems that other places have had with search warrants or police shootings. Um, and I think it's it's not an accident or just a curse or a blessing it's it's hard work by people that you know try to maintain some professionalism maintain training recruiting um and, and the communities how they relate to police how the police relates to them and i think all of their factors when you talk about police violence and there's some departments that are just notorious um for having problems and i think it's something that it takes a long time to get rid of if you have that kind of a culture going on so i don't think it's an accident i don't think people should think it's just luck. I do think it's individual departments and individual officers making the effort to make sure things are better. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sports guy, so the sports analogy of having just this team that loses over and over every year, mm-hmm. uh, the culture yeah. grows, and then it's hard to get rid of that. And you, you, you see Minneapolis; they they fire police chiefs all the time, and it's just like, well, you, I don't know. Maybe it yeah. maybe it takes more than just the one guy at the top. 
you know, I think it's comparable. You bring up sports. You know, think about some high schools that are just always good at wrestling or always good at basketball or always good at football, and you think, well, you know, is, is it just a blessing or a curse, or why do they, they never win at this sport but they win at other sports? It is a culture. It's the coaching and the players and the town and everything that goes into that. I think policing is kind of the same way. You have to have um, a good police force that has a pattern of good behavior to make it grow, just like if you have a pattern of bad behavior, I think that also grows. And then people trust them less, and it exacerbates the problem. And I'm not an expert on how to turn that around, but I think it's pretty obvious that there are some departments in the nation that have just chronic problems with corruption, with use of force, um, and there's others that just seem to be just so much better. It's, it's obviously just they're doing something different. I want to get into the the what the legislature is doing in Wisconsin when it comes to, to bonds but just going back to uh, a lot of the stuff just is reactionary. Hey, the thing happened, and now even Governor Evers, when it was uh, the Kenosha incident, and then there was like gun legislation proposed, uh, and then that wasn't even because of the Kenosha incident. That was because of the George Floyd situation. Um, but and that was that wasn't gun legislation. That was policing leg- legislation. But no knock warrants. Uh, it does well, let's go. Uh, Lacrosse County, Wisconsin, the the state. What where, what's the situation with no knock warrants in in the area? There, there's some talk at the state level to ban no knock search warrants, but that hasn't gotten very far. I know Milwaukee as a city banned no knock search warrants, except in very limited circumstances. Um, it's in most of Wisconsin, it's still allowed. It's it's rare. Um, I know that in our area, we've not had any problems with no-knock search warrants in terms of anyone getting hurt. Um, it's, it's a procedure where you have to show, the police have to show the judge there's some specific reason why you need a no-knock search warrant, and the judge is the one who authorizes it. So it's not the police on their own. They can't just do it on their own. Um, and I think as people are looking at this issue, um, again, hopefully they look at, you know, so the incident that happened in, in Minneapolis that we're talking about, is it because it was a no-knock search warrant, or are there other issues that were a problem, or are there other tactics that were the problem? Because, like I said, you can have a knock-and-announce search warrant, and it's just as dangerous. It isn't, I, I don't know if the problem is knock or not knock. I think the problem is the overall tactics, the overall training, the overall relationship with police and their community, because um, you could have any number of times that police are getting hurt. I don't know that the knocking or no knocking is necessarily the trigger. Yeah. It just seems like, you know, this, and this is weird, maybe, maybe even dangerous, but you go into one of those situations as an officer, a no knock warrant, but have maybe the beanbag gun or just where you, where you don't have something lethal and one of those giant shields where you just, you have the the fullback plow through the door and and maybe yeah. dive to the ground where he's not in the way, and then the next guy comes with the beam bay. I don't know. And then at least that way you're not lethally shooting somebody if it happens to get to that. And then have yeah. guys with guns maybe wait outside and until they get the, the all clear. I mean, it's crazy. It's like a like a heart attack like situation. So the the yeah. way anyone would react to that is is hard to even I, figure right, out. Right. I I think you, I mean you re, you raise some possibilities, and again I'm not an expert, so I don't know. But it, there there are different ways of doing it. But if you have to ask yourself, if you were a cop and your job was to arrest somebody that was, you know, wanted for murder, you know they're inside a house, what would you do to get them? I mean, would you just wait outside? If you have to go in, how would you go in? What's the safest way to go in? I don't know the answers to those, but that's the struggle that police have when they're determining a knock and announce warrant, a no-knock search warrant, or some other way 
you don't want to have standoffs, you don't want to have hostage situations. There's all these things to consider, and I don't know what the most uh, productive way and the, the least dangerous way is, but I think if the legislature wants to look into that, I think they should talk to experts in that area, review the data, review the incidents that have happened, like Brianna Taylor, that happened, um, you know, horrible incident in Tennessee, I think, or Kentucky, I think Tennessee. Um, but again, was that the no-knock, or was it just bad tactics for other reasons? Um Again, put yourself in those shoes of the officer. How would you do it? What's the best way to get in there where you're safe and the people inside are safe? And it's not that easy to come up with answers. Kentucky. I think it was Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. I really want to ask you about traffic cameras because I asked Sean Kudron, the police chief, about it, but I don't have – I just I feel like we're going to run out of time. So, uh, like I said, a lot of this stuff is reactionary. Now we see the White House is, is talking about limiting no-knock warrants. We see Minneapolis or Minnesota – Lawmakers yep. talking about limit no knock warrants. We'll see. Maybe Wisconsin does this, but the Wisconsin state legislature saw this incident with the parade that happened. Uh, this guy plows through, allegedly plows through. I don't know if I have to say. Do I have to say allegedly, Tim? Because it's pretty That's clear. Me. That, <laughs> pretty it's on tape. I, it's yeah. on video. I don't know if anyone's going to come back yeah. to wisdom and go, "Hey, this guy actually didn't do that." Um, but and I'm making light of an awful tragedy. Uh, for whatever reason, my sensitivity training is off. But the Wisconsin legislature uh, has has proposed some bills that would really just toughen uh, bail policies. I, I guess what what do you see there that the legislature is doing that do you do you agree with, and maybe some things that you don't agree with? Do you want me to break down some of these things that I read to you earlier? Um, yeah, however you want to do it. Um, uh, I'll say generally again, I, I don't one case, no matter how tragic shouldn't just be the basis for a change in the law. There should be a little bit more of a study to it and asking the tougher questions about how do we make this better overall, not just to address one issue, because there are certainly a lot of issues in the bond area that could be addressed. Yeah, so, yeah go ahead. Because the the guy that plowed through the, the parade had some... We, we could argue that he probably shouldn't have been out on bail, right? Yeah, it's a safe argument, I think, to say that you know something more should be done, that people who are dangerous shouldn't be um, release as easy. Um, the hard part is figuring out who those people are and what that really means. Does that mean detention without any bond? Does that mean a higher bond? That's the harder question. Um, many states have started getting rid of cash bail altogether and just going to a system based on risk. If you're a risk to not appear or be dangerous, you'll be held. And if you're not a risk, you'll be let out. That seems to be more direct and more honest than what we're doing in Wisconsin. Um, so far, the pro- proposals that I've seen in Wisconsin are I call piecemeal. They they change a few things, but they don't change the overall problem that if you're rich, you can get out, and if you're not, you can't. And it's based more on that than it is based on risk or danger, uh, but just more on how much money you can post, which isn't a good measure of of how dangerous, how, how risky people are. Yeah, that's my argument with every fine, even getting a speeding ticket. A speeding ticket to someone making thirty grand a year is is you know going to really hit the wallet and the and your life pretty hard. And a, a speeding ticket to someone making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, they're like, eh, well, I don't care. Right. That yeah. The, the, there's things in the system that are not given out equally. They have different impacts on different people. So. Uh, that should be looked at as part of it. Uh, people should also look at just the consequences of what it means to not have a bail option um, and look at the consequence of what it means to not have any cash required um, before they just raise amounts or have, I think there's an arbitrary amount listed in one of the proposals that like $10,000 yeah. should be like a minimum yep. for certain people. But I don't know, how do you come up with 10000 And like you were saying, to a millionaire, no problem. To someone else, that might as well be a million dollars. 
that doesn't seem fair to me. That just seems a pretty arbitrary number to, again, make people feel safer, but it really doesn't isn't doing what we want it to do. Well, does the the when you talk about other states just doing away with it altogether, who who does it who do they leave the the is it the judge that has to decide of whether or not to keep this guy? You just it's like a pass fail situation. You either are going to yeah. have to stay in in jail or you can be you're released. Correct. Yeah, it's the judge would make a decision. Um yeah, you are a dangerous person or you are not going to appear for court. I'm going to hold you in custody. Or I'll release you on the ankle bracelet or something like that. Or you look like you're not a danger. You're not a risk. I can trust you to get out and come back. Um, we already kind of do that. It's just that we use these bond numbers to kind of fill up purpose, which is a little bit uh, dishonest when we say someone should post a million-dollar cash bond to get out. I think everybody knows we're not going to post a million dollars cash. What they're really saying is you're too dangerous to get out. And I just think it would be a more honest way of saying I don't think you should be released. I think you should be kept in instead of having some amount that you think they can't post. Well, judges always get hit in in the area for this because they're like, oh, they're letting that guy out. Every I think every comment on and, and maybe maybe we shouldn't read social media comments. Uh, hopefully judges don't because then they would be like, wow, I can't release anybody that did anything wrong because uh, everyone in the comment section is mad that I, I gave them mm-hmm. a signature bond. Yeah, the the. The, the truth is most people get signature bonds, and most people in our system do show up for court, and they don't commit further crimes, but it's those ones that do that that grab your attention. Um, and the judges don't have a crystal ball. Sometimes they do take a risk on someone that they feel like is a good risk, and then they, they're wrong. But with human beings, you're going to have that, that decision is wrong. Um, I think the better way of looking at it is overall, what's the percentage of people? What's the risk level of people being released? Um, what are people being released for? And we're always going to have disagreements about some people that are released or not released. Um, that's just part of our system. That's what the judges are. They're making tough decisions. But, again, I think it's wrong to have – the only way to prevent anyone is to keep everyone in jail, and that's not going to happen. So there's always a possibility that someone released could commit another crime. And, again, I just think it's wrong to change an entire system based on one case that probably had a lot more going wrong with it than just the bond decision. When when judges do decide whether or not to you know make give it a high bond so that person doesn't get out, do they do they you know they look into that person's situation right their life situation? Do they talk to law enforcement too about hey you, you guys have had to deal with this person a couple of times or maybe you haven't had to deal with this? But do they do that? Is there a conversation there? Well, there's not a conversation, but there's input by way of the police report sometimes where officers will note the prior problems they've had in the D's office can give the judges information about here's how many times they've been in court or been convicted or how many times they've missed court. So it's not a conversation, but they get information about their record or their past. And then they get information from the defense about living situation, uh, maybe employment situation, um, maybe mental health situation, um, things like that. So the judges get information from both sides and just they make the best decision they can based on the information they're given in a very short period of time. Would it be worth maybe allowing some kind of conversation, or would police would would that be just very skewed because police would always be like, "Hey, we caught this dude. He, we got to keep him." I don't know if that would be skewed, but I, I think they get that information through the reports. There's and enough there. Our okay. office passing on the information that sure. this is what we've seen from this person before. Well, you you mentioned um, you know people being you you mentioned the majority of people that get out on signature bond are it's it's fine. We, we the only ones that make the news are the ones that make the news for a reason, right? Um, 
are there stats? Do we have, does the county keep track of this? Like, hey, this guy, signature bond, actually he committed a crime. You know, 12% of people released on signature bonds end up committing, you know what I mean? Like, is there, yep. are we studying this stuff? We have in the past, I don't know if there's an ongoing running number, but we have in the past looked at those things and, and we have the stats. We just would have to compile them. So we, we certainly have the information of how many people are booked, how many people get out, how many people get signature bonds, cash bonds. So we've got that information. Um, off the top of my head, I don't have the numbers right now, but right. we do look at it. Judges do look at that from time to time. Um, we do periodically have discussions about the rate of people showing up for court, um, things like that. Not a running total like you know every day or every month even, but uh, the judges are aware of this. They're not you know, unaware that there's some people that are problems. They're not unaware that people are frustrated when people commit crimes. They're frustrated, too. Um, but it's just not as easy to, to snap your fingers and uh, keep people without bond. The current system we have, they are entitled to some bond. So it's it's not as easy as people think, and I know the judges are are aware of the issues that are going on in the system and in the community. All right, that's La Crosse County District Attorney Tim Greinke. Anything else with this legislation that you just point to and go, yeah, actually not, that's not going to work? Um, or that's great, maybe. I, well, I think just uh, I think just the knee-jerk reaction. There, a couple of years ago, there were study committees set up to study this bond problem, and it just didn't go anywhere at the end. But the, the committee came up with suggestions. There's plenty of research nationwide on this issue because some states have done away with cash bonds. So we've got a lot of information out there and in Wisconsin on bond and bond decisions. And I just hope the legislature takes some time to look at all that and consider it and not just pass what some people think might be a fix, because so far what I've seen are either not fixes or the quick fixes. And in the long run, it's it's not going to hold up. Is it, a, is it a case where maybe they need to bring you in to talk about this stuff? Not not me necessarily, but some people that have some expertise in this area, uh, DAs, police, victim advocates, community advocates, judges, uh, all those people have you know some say in this. And I hope they talk to all those people to figure out what the best way would be instead of just the one case kind of dominating the conversation and thinking that somehow we're going to fix it all with just the passage of this one one change. Yeah, one tragedy and we're going to change it all. But that's what we're doing with a mere lock too, right? No knock warrants. We've got it. It's all the way to the White House. Yeah, I, I think, well, no knock warrants have been, since Breonna Taylor, I think, in, been in the news. But again, I don't know that any one case that happens somewhere else should dictate the policy here. I think we should look at, again, what we do here, why we do them, how often we do them, um, the, the pros and the cons, because uh, admittedly there are pros and cons no matter how you do it. Um, and again, talk to the experts in the field, review the data, talk to the community, and try to figure out the best way of doing it instead of just either all or nothing. That's La Crosse County District Attorney Tim Greinke. Tim, thank you so much. No problem. We ran out of time again. We could have probably did two hours. <laughs> As always. All right, All right. See you, man. Bye. All right, we got to take one more break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to La Crosse Talk PM. Just a couple, just a little bit left here to wrap up. Uh, thanks again to La Crosse County District Attorney Tim Greinke. I feel like that was a ultra informative show. Best ever, no. <laughs> but uh, there was so much there, and yeah, we could have we could have probably broke down multiple different things, uh, even. And I had other stuff that I wanted to talk to him about, based on my conversation with Police Chief Sean Kudron from a couple, uh, couple weeks ago, I believe. Uh, when it comes to uh, when incidents like this 
happened. Like the Amir Locke situation. Amir Locke had a gun, right? Like so. At, at what point? I feel like a lot of the times in the the media takes the situation but doesn't talk about the gun. And maybe we need to have a conversation about the gun and guns in general. Uh, where did the gun come from? Could he? Should he have had a gun? And it was kind of weird that he was on the couch and a gun in hand when the police came in. Right? That's that was weird, but. Uh, we see it all the time. People sleep with guns right next to their bed or a gun under their pillow. Uh, anyway, I just uh, guns are weird to me, <laughs> super weird to me. And then I wanted to ask him about traffic cameras as well because I, in terms of uh, when we talk about the Minneapolis police, uh, Minneapolis area, multiple incidents, incidences where they pull somebody over and it ends up being uh, fatal. So traffic cameras could do away with that. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. We'll do it again tomorrow.